Okay, Acts chapter 6. All set? Let's pray. Our Father and our God, as we look into your word, listen, we have an air of expectation that you will actually speak to our hearts and tell us things. And we want to line up with your word. We want this to, to know this and have it have an effect on our lives. Now, what will that effect be? Well, Lord, you are the Lord. We call you that master for a reason. You get to decide. You get to determine. You get to move your pieces around the chessboard for sure. But Lord, we want to be equipped. We want to be humble. We want to have the right thoughts. We want to have the right heart. We want to know your word. You've put your word above your name. This word is eternal. We get it and we want it. Lord, uh, give us this day our daily bread in Jesus' name. Acts chapter 6, in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied. Stop, we got to stop. Oh my goodness, you didn't get to a verse yet. What happened to for the multiplication. You remember God's adding to the church daily as being, uh, such as, as should be saved. Now all of a sudden he's in a multiplication. I love it. God, multiply. Just what happened first? Well, last week, you remember Ananias and Sapphira? Blessed subtraction. Saying, well, that's harsh of you to say that. No, the scripture's saying that. Don't extrapolate, and every time somebody leaves here, I think, blessed subtraction. I've never thought that once ever. One, I don't, I'm not judgmental. Two, it's above my pay grade. As I say, God's allowed to move the chess pieces around the board as he sees fit, and we don't second-guess him. Absent that, when people leave and stuff like that, and I never say, oh, great, I'm glad, I'm glad they're gone. I, you know, I don't even think like that. If somebody has a problem, I just, I just want to go and address them, look them like right in the eye, man to man, or man woman and, and tell them what the issues are. I don't pray them away I never ever once ever and you have to believe that prayed Lord I, I want that guy out I want that lady I want that family gone never and I wouldn't having said that you know uh does John chapter 15 in play if I was a pastor and Ananias and Sapphira left rather abruptly like they did last week that's just God being God okay God, there were cancer, and God saw it, and God weeded that out. Now I can bless the church. Allah, John 15. You're the, you're the branches. Jesus says, I'm the vine. Yeah, watch, watch our, a branch produce fruit all alone. Won't happen. You know that. It could never happen. He says, my father is the husbandman. He knows how to prune. What is prune? He gets these loppers out and he starts cutting. You've seen it. You've done it. You've got this tree in your front yard and it's going crazy all over, the all over the place. You've got this bush that's turning into a tree. You've got fruit trees. You know that all those sucker branches, all the life is going into them, but no fruit. So what happens? You get your loppers out. You get your cutters out. You get your chainsaw out. and You start making some adjustments. God does the same thing. Is it, does it hurt? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, personally, yeah. Uh, and then afterwards, I'm always like, oh, thank you for taking that out of my life. That was taking all my energy. It was taking all my time. And there was, it was not fruitful at all. And I praise God for that. So God takes off the branch, Ananias and Sapphira. Now I can bless. Now I can multiply. What was the problem with Ananias and Sapphira? Remember this. It wasn't their lack of giving. It was their hypocrisy. They were poses. Look at us. Look at how spiritual we are. We don't need any posturing around here. We're honest. We're integrous. What you see is what you get. There's no guile. There's no duplicity. And we want to be those type of people. And they weren't. And God said, yeah, we've got to get rid of them. And now God's in a position where he can bless and multiply. I love that. 
So now look around, see who's, no, don't do anything like that. Of course not, of course not. Again, we're not judgmental. Uh, we, we, that's, that's not for you to decide. If you're having a problem getting along with somebody, you know what that is? That's God saying, hey, I want that person in your life. I want that person who's tough to get along. I want you to make extra effort to, because you know how, t- how many times we saw it in one accord phrase? The unity of the family of God. Well, I love you all, except no, no. That would be a horrific thing. We can, we, no. You have the same, I, I, that's my attitude. I, I mean, I, I'm looking at you right now. I, I wouldn't be a hypocrite. God would strike me down. I know it. Uh, I, that's my attitude, and it's got to be your attitude. It has to be. In those days when the number of the disciples multiplied, there was a murmuring. Ah, oh, a murmuring. Ah. Oh. Among the Grecians, against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministrations. So we have widows. And you remember, everyone's selling their stuff and one big pool and people are dealing out of that. The apostles are dealing out of that when it needs to be done. Well, widows, widows, they don't have children that can take care of them. They're true widows. They don't have a husband. They're widows, right? And, they're, and now there's Grecians and Hebrew widows. You say, what are they? I don't understand. I don't want to get into this too much. Hebrew, keeping the Hebrew culture Grecian, adopting Grecian culture. It was said that Rome uh, conquered Greece militarily. Greece conquered Rome culturally. And Greece had spread its influence all over the known world. And so they were Greek acting. They probably spoke Greek. They had to dress like Greeks and stuff like that. And then there were the Hebrew widows and they kept their Hebrew customs. Well, you know what that's like, because, I mean, everyone has a, a tribe and a team, and there's people who dress alike and act alike, and it, it goes from culture to culture. Even in America, we have different, we have, you know, city culture, rural culture we have, which is getting bridged all the time because we're all watching the same TV. We're all shopping at Walmart and eating at McDonald's, and I think those old types of cultures are going away. I mean, we're all kind of one big homogenous for whatever it's worth. But in this day, there's, there's Greek acting people and Hebrew acting people. And that's all it is. They're all believers in Jesus Christ. And I don't care about culture. There's, there's nothing in and of itself wrong. I'm not a xenophobe, by the way. Neither should you be. Uh, illegal aliens, I stumble over the word illegal. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's a problem, right? As far as like people coming to America, give us your tired, your poor, your wretched, your what is that? And, you know, yearning to be free on the statue there. I'm all about that. I mean, that's a wonderful thing. Come on in. The water's fine. We got more room all the time. You bring your, bring your culture right with you. I don't care. Uh, uh, bring your religion. We can talk about that. Uh, oh, definitely bring your food. If you open and you're really good at food and open up a restaurant, I'll come. I'll celebrate your culture. Culture's fine. It's not, there's no bad culture, wrong cultures. Now, the things inside of cultures, there's sin, but that's every culture, including our own. So they're just culturally different. And so this, the Greek ones are saying, hey, 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 all the Hebrew, they're getting all the, you know, and you're ignoring our widows, the people who, you know, they act like us, talk like us. And so this is a problem. And is, and is, and is murmuring. Can there be murmuring in a church? No. <laughs> no, of course not. Uh, okay, stretch your, I wish I could give you an example. Every church in America, every church in the world, it started off, you say, we want to get back to be just like the Church of Acts. Really? Does, they have problems too. I mean, I, I want it too. I want to be a pure and a holy church. Don't get me wrong, but 
If you think that was pristine and problem-free, do you remember last week? Now we have another problem. But this is solvable. And the, the, the 12 called the multitude and the disciples unto them and said, it's not, re- it's not reasonable. It's not reasonable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. What, what elders do is prayer and Bible in that order. That's it. That's the whole thing. Okay? They're elders, and they're saying, this is, this is how we're going to roll. Prayer and the Bible. Everything else is a distraction. Everyone wants to define what I do. And they'll tell me how I'm failing at their expectations. Of what I, no. They're not all. So I, I'm, I'm over-speaking. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes people tell me, oh, you're wonderful, I love you, you're doing a great job. Some people are critical and say, oh, you should be doing this, you should be doing this, you should be doing this. I'm thinking, how do you know? And it's always the things that are not. If somebody said, hey, you need to pray more, I'm like, amen. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're, scripturally, you're correct, and yes. Adam, I wish you'd spend some more time in the Word and you'd know what you were talking about when you taught. And I'd say, amen, again, that's, those are reasonable things. That's my, that should be your expectation of me. Now, in America in the 21st century, we beca- the, the, the pastor becomes the professional Mariam Barium guy. Okay, okay, I don't think that takes away from, and you want to get married, and you want to, in the, in the, under the auspices, under the direction of, in, in, in sight of God, you want God to bless your marriage. And, when, and on the other end of life, when you're, when you're, when you're gone, you want a, a Christian burial. Those are re- I, I don't have a problem. Those are reasonable things. That's fine. Uh, but everyone else, they, you know, the, the, the pastor's the go-to-the-hospital guy and visit somebody. He's the, you know, he goes door-to-door and gets everyone to come to church, and he's this and that, and he's got a million things to do. And if he can fit it in, hey, learn some Bible and teach it, will you? And make sure you pray every once in a while. And they're cluttered with so much busyness that they don't even have time to do the thing that God's called them to do. Hey, what you're saying is true. It's an important thing. We can't do it. We're, we're chock-a-block. We got our, our narrow beam focus, and we're not going to be distracted from that. Amen. I'm glad this verse is here. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Appoint over what business? Waiting on tables? Yeah. And they're going to be full of wisdom in the Holy Ghost? Yeah. Why? They're God's tables. Those are God's widows. That's God's resources. You know, you want to do this carefully. You want to make sure these are godly men. We have access to, you know, money and food and right in the pocket, right? No, they're godly men. So how should this be done in a way that makes the murmuring go away? You've got to be spirit-filled. You've got widows murmuring. You, you better have some Holy Spirit you know, ready to, to you know, defuse this situation. Uh, but we're going to give ourselves continue to pray into the ministry of the Word. That's why I said. And I think that order is correct, by the way. I don't know, if you're not praying, God, I don't think you have anything important to share word-wise. Just a thought. But you need both of those things. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Ghost, Philip, and Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, uh, Parmenas, and Nicol- Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. So those are the names. And you wouldn't know it, and I wouldn't know it. They're Greek names. That's diffusing the situation. That's Donald Trump rising to the presidency, and you know he, all the criticism, all this and that, and he makes like... Hillary Clinton, the Secretary of State, or, or not that he should or any. I'm just saying that I probably shouldn't have gone there. I get myself in more trouble. 
No, you're, you're the opposition party. You're the, you come in, you keep us honest. Because this is like, they didn't have to do this. They took seven Greek named guys. Okay, take care of that. Now, is, is it being done? I, I'm, I'm sure that takes away everybody's criticism. The saying pleased the whole multitude. And they did, so that whom they set before the apostles, the, the seven, when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. Uh, they, a lot of people think these are the first deacons. I would be one of them who believe that. They laid their hands on them. Now, when the church here lays their hands on you, that doesn't confer anything on you except germs. We're not, I, me and the elders get together, we pray and you become an elder. We pray and you become a deacon. I think God makes deacons. I think God makes elders. I think we just agree with God. We're seeing what God's doing in your life, and so we do this. We've got two active deacons right now. I'll just tell you, they're Micah, my son, and Peter. And uh, we're looking at more. Uh, there's four elders, and you're always looking like, we're trying to say, okay, what God's doing in a life? What, what, is, what is he doing? Now, elders, by definition, men, I won't argue the point. Well, I'll listen to you try to argue it, and then I'll just walk away saying you're wrong. But I think, I think deacons can be both. I know that's controversial, but I could show you my strong reasons. As a matter of fact, uh, just in the book of Romans, Phoebe, who delivers the epistle of Romans from Paul to the Romans, is a deaconess. And the word is, you know, it says, it says Phoebe, a servant of God. Look it up. It, the word is deaconess. And there's other things, too. We don't have any female deacons. Susan's a kind of de facto deacon. We've never conferred the title on her. But she don't care. Yeah, she, I mean, she doesn't, you know what I mean? Uh, Susan's weird. I mean, I don't mean that, that way. <laughs> Can you edit that part, Mike? Uh, Susan's different. She's kind of like a, a de facto elder, and there is no women elders. And she's kind of de facto deacon because she comes in here like before everybody else and she starts, she gets the vacuum going, she's got a broom going, she's got Windex in one hand, you know, uh, 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 you know bounty in the other and off she goes. Um, does a deacon do that, take care of the physical? Yeah, I think so. I, I think that's what, and I think uh, scripturally an elder takes care of the, the spiritual aspects of the church, spiritual leadership, and deacons take care of the physical aspects of the church. And you don't get promoted from one to the other. Because I know some of you people think elders and deacons. I don't see that. What, who outranks who, a doctor or a lawyer? I, I don't see it that way. When I'm in court, I want my lawyer with me. You know, if I'm on trial for my life, I want my lawyer. I don't care about my surgeon. If I'm getting operated on, I definitely, lawyer can go away. I definitely want my doctor. It's just two different job descriptions. You get that, right? I think that's how it is in my own thinking with elders and deacons. Uh, so they laid their hands on them, and the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Priests, yeah. Wow, because they're in there ministering to God. They'd get the word. They'd understand the events of what happened. Now, Stephen, he's a, he's a deacon, right? What's his job description? Wait on tables. God can bless you more than that. He blesses Stephen. Stephen, full of faith and power, did... Great wonders and miracles among the people. Do you, have to have a, do you have to be an elder or a deacon for God blesses you with signs and wonders? No. 
No, God can do whatever God wants to do. Uh, here, this guy here is a deacon. Go wait on tables, fool. No, he's out sharing around. He's, he's full of faith. He's full of power. And he's doing these miracles. Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines and, and Cyrenians and Alexandrians and of them of Cilicia and Asia disputing with Stephen. So now he's an apologist. You go to Bible college? Yeah, they all did. They went to Bible college of Jesus Christ, full with the, full with the Spirit. And, but he's good at apologetics because apologetics, they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Then they suborned men. They rented guys. Who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. Is that true? No. No. Not at all. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council. He said, well, that's not good. They're lying. <laughs> I know. Bless you when men speak e say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake, Jesus says. They shouldn't do that. Oh, <laughs> they do do that. And as, if you've been walking with the Lord for any length of time, you know that happens. So they arrest him, they bring him to the council, and they set up false witnesses which said, this man ceaseth, ceaseth not, what he does is so bad, I came to say the word. This man ceaseth not to speak blasphemous words against his holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. And all that sat in the council, looked steadfastly on him, saw his face that had been the face of an angel. Is his face glowing? I don't know, there's some angelicness. There's guilelessness. There's I don't know. I don't know what it means to look on uh, someone who has the face of an angel. We look at little angelic, cher cherubic uh, little people, and they're so cute and they're so angelic. Is that what it means? I don't, I don't know. I, I, is that, I, who knows, right? But one, they're lying, and they're lying about, did Jesus say he was going to destroy this temple and raise it in three days? Yes. But look at the context. But people who have an axe to grind, they don't care about context. You know, I say something really sarcastically, and then I mean the exact opposite the way I say it. But if you just take that little snippet of what I said, the exact opposite, and people could, I mean, it's on recordings everywhere, and people could play that and see Adam believes. You see how that, that, that works? But what are you going to do? I, I never worry about it. I let God be my defense and God, you know, worry about my reputation. Because people, again, say all manner of evil against you falsely. As long as it's false, <laughs> they can say anything. I, they're going to say anything they want anyway. And here they do. Then said the high priest of these things, so, oh, you just stepped in it, high priest. Now you gave him an opportunity and he will use it to defend his position. It's a great one. Now look it. I'm going to read through this. I'm going to go very fast. But you want to understand what's going on, and I'll, and I'll develop as we go along. His point, his, his theme is, you Jews never get it the first time. You always get it the second time. And the point is, you didn't see Jesus for who he was in his first incarnation. But don't you worry, when he shows up again, you'll all be on board. Now, I, I, it amazes me how many people preach through this and don't see that. It, it's obvious enough to me. Then he said, men, brethren, fathers, hearken, the God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham. Now, why would they 
start with Abraham. The first Jew, of course, they'd start with Abraham. Who else would they start with? Before Abraham, there was only Gentiles, so we don't even care about that. And when he says Abraham, they all perk up. They love that. Oh, Father Abraham, yeah, tell us all about him. Now, he's just a young man. I think he's a really cool guy. He is, this is August body, the Sanhedrin. He's going to give them a Bible lesson. And it's one that, man, he, I tell you what, he's got it going on. Why? He's full of the Holy Spirit. He knows the Word, and, the, and, and is he like super genius, intelligent? I don't know any of that. I just think he's bold, and he has the Spirit of God. And I think if you get those two things, you're already way ahead of the game. Keep learning. Keep filling your head with Bible knowledge. God will use that. Hearken unto me. This is what happened. The God of our father appeared unto Father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he dwelt in Haran, said unto thee, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred, and come into the land which I shall show thee. Then came he out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran. And from thence, when his father was dead, he removed him uh, into this land where now you dwell. Look, I, when we, we covered this when we were in the 12th chapter of Genesis, God's call, and it's less plain there, it's, but it, it, it's there, but I looked here to explain back then what was going on. God called him out of Mesopotamia, the Ur of the Chaldees. In, think of like modern day uh, Iraq, uh, Babylon region, Ur of the Chaldees. So he moved up river somewhat, uh, and he settled in Haran. Then his father died, and then he came into the promised land. Because God, when his father died, God said, okay, get you up now and go into the promised land. God called him in the promised land the first time. Then God, he didn't do it. He didn't do it. The first Jewish guy wasn't all that faithful to God. He didn't do what God told him to do. He moved up, come on, get out of there. Okay, we'll get out of there. Come on, get over here. Come on, come on, come on. And he's up he moves up river and he, he settles and he's, he's waiting for his dad to die. He didn't, and listen, you got to leave mom and dad sometimes. You got to, if they're not going to be where God is calling you to be, no, he's, he watched, looks out for his dad. He's a good son, but that's fine. But 25 years later or whatever, how long did it take for him to finally, uh, I don't think it was 25 years, but he waits for his father's die. And then on the second call of God, now he goes into the promised land. Point one, you never get it the first time. Uh, he, and he gave him none inheritance in it, no, not so much as to set his foot on, yet he promised that he would give it to him for a possession to his seed after him, when as yet he had no child. Uh, is the children here important? Yeah, because he didn't get it right the first time. Anyone ever hear of Ishmael? God spake on this wise that his seeds should sojourn in a strange land that they should bring them into bondage and treat them evil 400 years. And the nation of whom they shall be in bondage will I judge, said God, and after that shall they come forth and serve me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision, and so Abraham begat Isaac and circumcised him the eighth day, and Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat the 12 patriarchs. That's to say the 12 tribes. You know all about that. We've covered that in the past. The patriarchs moved with envy, sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him. Is that a problem? Yeah. And he delivered him out of all his afflictions. It gave him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he made him governor over Egypt and all his house. Joseph, one of the purest Christ types in the whole Old Testament. So they moved with jealousy again because they're not faithful. And his point is, you guys, 
you know, you're all this like, oh, we love the Lord and we follow him all the time. Yeah, your history, not so much. You remember when you, the 12 tribes sold, uh, sold Joseph into slavery? His point is you just like them. Uh, now there was, came a dearth over all the land of Egypt. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 1 tonight. FYI. There always comes a dearth. Okay. Uh, and the land of Egypt and Canaan in great affliction. Our fathers found no substance. But when Jacob heard that there was corn in Egypt, he sent out our fathers first. And at the second time, Joseph was made known to his kindred, uh, his brethren. And Joseph's kindred was made known unto Pharaoh. So remember the first time they come to get corn, grain, and he's like, yeah, you're spies and all this stuff. And they didn't recognize him. His point is, yeah, Jesus came. You didn't recognize him either. But when they came the second time, Joseph said, hey, it's me, Joseph. That's a picture of the second time Jesus comes back. Will Israel get saved? All Israel. All Israel will be saved. I say all remaining. How many will that be? One-third of what is before the tribulation. Two-thirds pass under the rod, according to uh, Zechariah. I want to say chapter 12 or 14. You can look it up. If you... you Engine, Bible engine search, pass under the rod is what you'd want to look after. Uh, then sent Joseph and called his father Jacob to him and all his, uh, all his kindred, three score and 15 souls, that's to say 75. So Jacob went down into Egypt and died, he and our fathers, and were carried out over into Shechem and laid in the sepulcher that Abram brought for a sum of money of the sons of Emor, the father of Shechem. But when the time of the promise drew nigh, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt, till another king arose which knew not Joseph. We'll view that tonight, that another king is another of a different variety king. It's not the Hyksos dynasty, it's, we'll talk about it. But this other king comes, and he doesn't know Joseph. Joseph had saved uh, Egypt, right? The same dealt subtly with our kindred and evil and treated our fathers so that they cast out their young children to the end they might not live. In which time Moses was born, who was exceeding fair and nourished up in the father's house three years. So the first deliverer is Joseph. Actually, Abraham, and he got it right the second time. The second one is Joseph. You didn't see him, but second time you did. The third time is, is Moses. Moses was born, he was exceeding fair and nourished up in his father's house three months. He was cast out, Pharaoh's daughter took him up and nourished him for her own son. Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptian, was mighty in words and deeds. And when he was full 40 years old, it came to his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. He knows he's Jewish, right from his birth, he knows he's Jewish. Seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him and avenged him. That was oppressed and smote the Egyptian. For he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not. Why? Because it's the first time. He should have read his Bible. He would, and all he has to read at this point is just Genesis, right? He hasn't written Genesis yet. But he should understand they never get it right the first time. So he's thinking, oh, they'll get it. They'll get that I'm the deliverer, that God's caused me to deliver them. But it's the first time, and of course they don't get it. But they understood not. And next day he showed himself unto them as they strove and would have set them at at one saying, uh, Sirs, ye are brethren, why do ye wrong one another? And he that did his neighbor wrong thrust him away, saying, Who made thee a ruler and a judge over us? He harks back to, We won't have this man rule over us. Right? Isn't that kind of, Jesus says the whole Bible's about him. 
You search the scriptures, you think of them, you have eternal life. These are they which testify of me. Who do you think you are? Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Wilt thou kill me as thou didst the Egyptian yesterday? Then fled Moses at the saying, and he was a stranger in the land of Midian, where he begat two sons. And when forty years were expired, there appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai an angel of the Lord in a flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he wondered at the sight, and as he drew near uh, to behold it, the voice of the Lord came unto him, saying, I am the God of thy fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Then Moses trembled and durst not behold. Then said the Lord to him, Put off thy shoes from thy feet, for the place where thou standest is holy ground. I have seen, I have seen the affliction of my people, which is in Egypt, and I have heard their groaning, and am come down now to deliver them. And now come I... Uh, I will send thee, and now come, I will send thee into Egypt. This Moses whom thou refused, saying, Who made thee a ruler and a judge? The same did God send to be ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel which appeared to him in the bush. He brought them out after that he had showed signs and wonders in the land of Egypt and the Red Sea in the wilderness uh, 40 years. This is that Moses which said unto the uh, children of Israel, prophets shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me, him shall ye hear. This is he that was in the church in the wilderness. Church is absolutely, positively the wrong word. It means assembly, okay? They're the assembly in the wilderness. There's no church in the Old Testament. I think that just shows the bias of the King James Version translators. The word isn't church, okay? Uh, Otherwise, you have some real theological problems. Um, this is that Moses which said unto the children of Israel, Prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you like of your brethren, like unto me. Him shall ye hear. This is he that was in the assembly in the wilderness with the angel which spake to him in, the Mount, in Mount Sinai and with our fathers who received the living oracles to give unto us. Now, Moses, which he said in verse 37, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you. That's Jesus. That's Deuteronomy chapter 18. He's prophesying of Jesus Christ. Oh, you followed Moses? Well, you should believe in me then. That's what Jesus says to the Jews. You know, you, you, oh, you say Moses is your guy. Well, Moses prophesied of me. They, they have spiritual blinders on, and they have a bias that it's hard the hardest people you know to preach to are those who are already religious and have a religious bias and they see everything through that religious grid and everything that you say to them, they filter through that. They're really hard to reach, aren't they? That's, that's who these people are. Um, to, whom I, to whom our fathers would not obey but thrust him from them and in their hearts turn back again to Egypt. The first time, right? Uh, make us gods and and uh, Aaron, and, and then, hey, you got to lead us back to Egypt. We like Egypt better. They didn't get it the first time, even after deliverance. Saying unto, oh, here it is, saying unto Aaron, make us gods to go before us. For as this Moses, which brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what has become of him. They made a calf in those days and offered sacrifice unto the idol, rejoicing the work of their own hands. Then God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven, as is written in the book of the prophets, O ye house of Israel, have ye offered to me slain beasts and sacrifices by the space of forty years in the wilderness? Yea, ye took up the tabernacle of Molech and the star of your God Rephan 
figures which ye made to worship them, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. Now, who's your God, Rebbefam? I'd like to say something about that intelligence, but I have nothing. And if you find something, please tell me, because I have no idea what that means. Molech is the one, the God that they sacrificed their children to. And that's as far as I'm going to say here this morning. You know, other nights we, we, we talk about that, the actual, how that occurred, but Sunday morning stuff, I'm just going to forbear. Uh, in other words, you didn't get worship right at the beginning. Here comes the, the man down the, down the uh, Mount Sinai with the tablets, and what are you guys doing? You're, you're involved in false worship. So they're all acting like, you know, God, we, we know God. You're a blasphemer. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> what? <laughs> what are you talking about? You never get it right. And here they are. They're the, they're the sons and the daughters of, of idolaters. Um, our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness as he appointed speaking unto Moses that he should make it according to the fashion that he had seen which also our fathers that came after brought in with Joshua into the possession of the Gentiles whom God drove out uh, before the face of our fathers unto the days of David he mentions Joshua there okay you didn't get it right inheriting the land of Moses Moses didn't get it right for that matter but Joshua okay um, and the other point there, is now he mentions uh, David at the end of verse 45. Your first king, how did you do with that? You picked the guy, and we're studying that on Wednesday nights. Uh, he looks like a king. He's head and shoulders above everybody else. He's the most handsome guy in Israel. That's a king if I ever saw one. How's that working out? Now we're in those chapters where he's throwing a, a javelin at David, the anointed king, who's a man after God's own heart. Even you don't even do kings right, guys. You, you keep on messing up. You keep on messing up. Oh, boy, you'll get it eventually because the second time you always get it. Uh, and by the way, the tabernacle and the temple, they went from right to wrong at that time. For, God gave them the, temp, uh, the tabernacle. And they said, oh, we've got to build it. It's got to be more complicated. It's got to be more permanent. It's got to be more. I think God favored the tabernacle. In the end of Revelation, the tabernacle of God is with men. You know John chapter 1? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the same was in the beginning with God, and nothing was made by Him that was made. You, you don't know that. It said, and the Word was made flesh and, lived and, and dwelt among us in the King James. And the Word was made flesh and tabernacled among us. Is God making a point? Yeah. I didn't want anything ornate. I wanted something that was really simple, that spoke and, and told you what you needed to know. So I think in that case, it was the first one, but they got it wrong and picked the second one, which is the temple, which turned out to be Herod's temple, where all this stuff is going on all the time. Jesus have a problem in the temple? Repeatedly. The temple's a place where people met with God, right? The high priest, Jesus, wasn't even allowed in the temple. He'd get chased off in several accounts. They're trying to stone him there. He comes in and says, what is going on here? Money and... Uh, and he just... I was going to say wigs out. It's kind of disrespectful for the Son of God. He didn't wig out. He was very upset and he was always under control. This is what you need. You need to be whipped. I mean, think about it. He stopped to fashion a, a, a whip. He didn't just grab a two-by-four and start swinging. Two-by-four will break. A whip only stings. But he was very animated. He was very agitated. Was he having problems at the temple? 
continually. Why? You told God to never get it right. By the way, if you're thinking this sermon is about Israel, see how bad they are? <laughs> you're wrong because we're the exact same stuff. We're, we're all children of Abraham. And how many times have you did, got it wrong, got it wrong, got it wrong, got it wrong, and finally God said, you, you both tired now? But come, I'm going to show you how to do this right. I'm going to give you the strength. I'm going to give you the desire. I'm going to He's like that all the time. Why? He's a loving Heavenly Father. He'll let us beat our head against the wall until our head's all bleeding and the wall's still intact and we're thinking, uh, this ain't working out. You get the plan B, God, and he'll give us plan B. So don't, don't be judgmental over Israel. Yeah, they had, their, they had their issues, but guess, you know, you don't see somebody's issues. Look in a mirror. I know when I look, I'm just like, God, you're using that fool? Really? But I want to stay humble and, and see things for what they really are. And Lord, I'm here. I'm all in. Make me the, the type of worker you'd be proud to have on your team because guess what? It ain't that way now. I mean, it, it, I'm just, it just isn't, okay? Let's keep moving, though. Where am I? Uh, but Solomon built him a house. Uh, I, okay, uh, who found favor, verse 46, before God and desired to find a tabernacle for the God of Jacob, but Solomon built him a house. Howbeit the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands, and saith the prophet. Oh, that Herod's temple, that's big doings. God ain't there. God doesn't dwell in houses made with hands. This is what he's saying. And he quotes the prophet. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house will you build me, saith the Lord, on which is the place of my rest? Hath not my hand made all these things? Now, he, he, he changes here. I think he's looking at the faces. And they, I'm, I'm extrapolating, and I know I am. I think he's looking at the faces of them. He's not winning any of them. I think they're, they are so... That, that, you know how when your face has, when you have rage, how contorted and how... That's, by the way, rage is not a good look on you. Just, I mean, just all things being equal, it's not. I don't know if you go to like one of them places, photography, and they do, okay, do rage now. Oh, great, great, click, click, click. That's going to make grace Christmas gods. No. I think he's looking at them and saying, this ain't going so good. I think he's just going to cut right to the chase. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in hearts and ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost. Don't you get it? As your fathers did, so did you. This is a payoff to the sermon. You always resist the Holy Spirit of God. I don't care if it's Moses. I don't care if it's Joshua. I don't care if it's Saul. I, you always, whatever God's doing, you're never on board. Oh, you'll get there eventually, and you'll get here eventually this time. There's plenty of scripture written. There's still a kingdom coming. God's still going to set up his throne in on Mount Zion in Israel, because God's faithful and his promises are yea and amen. He knows how to get people there. But don't think it's because you've been so faithful, because you've always been stiff-necked. You've always gone against what God's had to say. Which of the prophets has not your fathers persecuted? Uh, and they have slain them which showed before the coming of the just one, of whom ye have now been the betrayers and murderers. They love hearing that. That blesses, that thrills their little hearts. They love hearing that. They... they Peter, John, they won't let this go. Oh, Jesus, whom you betrayed, whom you crucified, but God raised him from the dead. And, and we've talked about this. Is this important? Yeah. Who, who killed Jesus? Now, now, before you answer, I want you to think it out scripturally. I've gone over it before. Who killed Jesus? Ah, you all, all, all kind of... <laughs> We did. 
Yes, the Jewish Sanhedrin, the high priest, took him to Pilate. They don't crucify. The Romans crucify. So it's the Romans. It's the, he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. If you don't understand that, listen, you have to understand what a sinner you are or you're never going to reach out for salvation. Save from what? I'm fine. I didn't do anything. I'm, I'm, I'm as good as everybody else. And don't you hear that all the time? What's that all about? You haven't been convicted by the Holy Spirit yet. This, this cross is all about God's dealing with your sin, with my sin. And we don't want to put, take a history lesson or what. We all know the story. There's plenty of guilt. There's plenty of blame to go around. If the Jews hadn't arrested him, if the Jews hadn't taken him to Pilate, if Pilate hadn't washed his hands, if they, I mean, we can go on and on about this. But the long and short of it is it's your fault and it's my fault. Let me say that again. It's my fault and it's your fault. Because I, I, that's how I always feel about it. I feel like, you know, if I was the only one who ever sinned, I still think the payment would have been the same. I think Jesus would have come for just this one little lost lamb. I really believe that's how it works. I'm, I, I'm a good person. Not as good as you think. You're guilty of the death of Jesus Christ. On a scale of one to bad, that's pretty bad. You know what I mean? So he keeps on, they, they keep pressing the issue. They keep putting this in front of him. Jesus, you condemned him to death. Why? They're trying, oh, they're trying to bring the blood of this man on us. No, they're trying to bring the conviction of the Holy Spirit on you. Because what happens when you have the conviction of the Holy Spirit? You turn, salvation. When I found out that I was going to hell, and I, was, I knew I was a sinner, but when I found out that the wages of sin is death, and I heard the gospel preached for the first time in my life, 20 years old, I say, that's, where were you, in a cave or something? I was in Christian America. I guess that's all your fault. You should have been there and should have brought it earlier, I think. Uh, that's the first time I heard. And I heard I was a sinner. I was going to hell. Oh, man. And I looked at my life, and I'm like, it's probably very true. That's probably very true. Yeah, I, I always believed in God. I always believed in hell. I was a religious person. I think, you know, you do a lot of sin, you go to hell. I did plenty. I was convicted. Is conviction a bad thing? No, condemnation is a bad thing. Conviction is a wonderful thing. Now we can do something about it. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And he said, you have no idea how long I've been waiting to hear you pray that prayer. And he saved me, like for real. Like he, he really, real, really born again. He really came into me. He really made me a new creation in Christ. The same, listen, I, there's no reason I would lie about these things. I was just making up stories for the sake of, to make a good recording later. No, this is the real deal. It really, really happened. I really became a new creation in Christ. Jesus did that. The Holy Spirit of God did that. So which one of the, of the prophets haven't your fathers persecuted? That would be a short list. Uh, let's see, John, nope. Uh, let's see, Ezekiel, uh, no. Uh, Jeremiah, uh, we threw him down a well. Uh, let's see, Isaiah, uh, we put him in a log and sawed it. In half. No, I guess none. And it's a rhetorical question, but he's saying, you've, you never get on board with what God's doing. Uh, which of, which of the prophets haven't your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one, of whom you have now been the betrayers and murderers, whom have received the law by the dispensation of angels and not kept it. You think you're all, you're judging me by the law. 
You got the law from angels, but you haven't kept the law. Shouldn't the judge be like a righteous person? God said, uh, Abraham said to God, shall not the judge of the whole earth do right? It's a good point, Abraham. And the, question, the answer is, of course. The judge that we're all going to stand before, he's not like one of this Sanhedrin, hypocritical and religious. And, no, he's, he's just. He's holy. He won't get it wrong. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and gnashed on him with their teeth. Cut to the heart, convicted by the Holy Spirit? I don't think so, because they gnashed on him with their teeth. They're gritting their teeth. They're so furious. I think this is the picture that it's given us. It's not a pretty one. Again, they have their faces contorted with rage. Have you, have you had this happen to you where you're sharing, you're telling somebody, and they get so twisted up on you. They're so, congratulations, you're doing it right. Uh, that's how it works. They, it, we, we don't like the message. Shoot the messenger. And I think, by the way, there's comfort here. Look, maybe, <laughs> maybe there's comfort. They don't really hate you. They hate God and they can't get at him. So let's just shoot the messenger. Uh, welcome to my life. I get, I get this all the time. People take issue with what the Bible clearly says. Take it up with the author. I, I, I don't have a dog in this fight in the sense of I didn't write this. People get really bent out of shape about what the Bible says. Well, he's just telling them this is what the scripture is all about. This is your history. And they're furious at their own history. Does that make sense? Man, when you're all religious and stuff, that's how it goes. They, they were cut to the heart, they gnashed on him with the teeth, and he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfast into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. We're told that Jesus sits at the right hand of God. Why is he standing? Because He's about to witness the death of one of his first martyr, one of his own dear children. And he stands for that. I think it's God standing ovation for you did good i think that's what that is he's not indifferent to the, our death it says that it's a it's a, it's it's important in his sight the death of one of his saints he's not like oh, i gotta run the whole world on whatever happens with stephen stephen has a glimpse of what's going on i think it's glimpse is going to help him finish well here but beyond all that, it tells us something. Jesus is, is, is standing up. Why is he standing up? Listen, he's done his work. You remember, in the writer of Hebrews makes a big deal about this. There's no seats in the temple. Why? Because you've never done work. There's no, you, it's not a chaise lounge in the temple. You don't have a chance to sit down. You don't have, a, you don't have an opportunity to, to rest, to relax, because the work's never done. Jesus sitting down tells us it is finished. He's accomplished everything he needs to accomplish. Now he's seated at the right hand of God, and now he's standing. And I think whatever honor, whatever applause, whatever heaven views as honor, he's bestowing this honor on his, his faithful first martyr. Nobody's died at this point. And you know the story. I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. They've heard enough. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord. Really? They stopped their ears? They cried out. You haven't had this fight at your house. Me and Sue certainly never have. I've seen it where they cover their ears and, nah, 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 nah. 
You say, no, who does that? Five-year-old? They, th that's what they're doing. I, I, I've heard enough. Wow, words of conviction. Incredible. Again, this, let's just drown it out. They cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran upon him with one accord. The enemies of God have one accord too. They just do it better than us. The one accordness. They're in agreement. They're in lockstep. We've got to kill this guy. And they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. Pile of rocks. Storing him at him. All sides. You can't fend them off. That's a nasty way to die. It's the way God commended for blasphemy. Is this man a blasphemer? <laughs> no, they all are. He's the real deal. They stoned him, and the witnesses lay down their cloths, their clothes, I mean, at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. Later on, we'll know him as Paul. Now we're introduced to uh, uh, Paul the Apostle. Here he's Saul the Pharisee. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God, and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Now calling on, on God was Stephen. He's calling on God, Lord, receive my spirit. He knows he's about to go. There's no coming back from this. And he's, where did he get that receive my spirit? He got that off Jesus. He knew that. Into your hands I commend my spirit. He's saying the same thing, essentially. He kneeled down, cried, cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. When he said this, he fell asleep. Don't hold this against them. Why? I don't want to go bitter. I don't want to go. Listen, I know. Stay with me, okay? A couple more points. We'll be out of here in time. I don't want to go into God's presence bitter. <laughs> Forgive them. Jesus said, Lord, they don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. He didn't even make a pretense that they didn't. Know. They were full well aware of what they're doing. And Stephen says, anyway, I don't care how much they knew. They're horrible. It don't matter. Forgive them. Think God forgave them for that? I don't know how forgiveness works. When I say, Lord, I'm, that guy, he really did me wrong. Oh, the knife's in my back. I can't even put my shirt on. Forgive him. Forgive him. I forgive him. Which I do. I have to. I have to. I have to. I can't, I can't stay here for you bitter with telling you about forgiveness and have ought against anybody. I have to. So I do. And does God let him off the hook? I don't know how it works. I'm just not hooked to them anymore. Whatever God does, we'll let God be God. I'm not, I don't, I'm not going to... But if I forgive them, they're never going to get justice meted out to them. And they have to. Let God do that. Listen, I know you like justice. I do too. Justice isn't wrong. Justice isn't wrong. God says justice is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. It's not that it's bad. It's just that let him do the justice. We wouldn't do it real good. I mean, we really wouldn't. Lord, forgive them. Don't hold this sin, this sin of their charge. When he had said this, he fell asleep. When we die, it's just falling asleep. Did he wake up right away? Was Jesus there? Did he fall right into his arms? Hey, somebody I wanted you to meet. Oh, come on, we're going to go see Dad. 
I don't know how exactly how it is. Peter's had, I mean, Stephen's had a few nice days for a lot of days in a row. He's having a great day. I know we look and we say, oh, this is horrible. It was just sleep to him. He's getting up again physically. It's called the resurrection. But in the interim, where is he? Absent from the body, present with the Lord. We don't mourn like others. Oh, we mourn. It's sad and it's catastrophic and our hearts are so painful so we think they're going to burst. They won't. And it's so hard. But just remember, Stephen, is, this is written for us so that we understand. He just, he just fell asleep. It doesn't mean soul sleep. I mean, it means physical. He's, they, the next chapter, will, they'll bury him. Devout men will come and bury him, and we'll talk about that next week. It's a picture of sleep. He's getting up again. Same time you do. We'll talk about that some other time. We've talked about it before in the past. It's just asleep. Just asleep. And no bitterness. And he's gone into the presence of God. And he's the first, okay? Many more. Many do. Follow. There's still many countries where it's they imprison you or kill you or do all kinds of nasty things to you for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. You guys, any of you guys besides me listen to Voice of the Martyrs podcast? Okay, a few. Is it like life-changing stuff? Do you feel like? Incredible, incredible. People still pay the ultimate price. Us, we get laughed at a little bit sometimes. It's not so bad here, right? I think it's going to get worse, but I don't have a crystal ball. i just just perceptive. Anyway, enough on that. Let's stand. Let's pray. Let's uh, have the guys lead us out of here in song. Our Father and our God, uh, our, uh, our friend Stephen would tell us, you're worth dying for. And I've always felt, unless we had something or someone worth dying for, we have no reason, we have nothing worth living for. Help us to get this and understand this. Why did you put this in your word? Just historical? Or do you want us to have some introspection and, and understand, Lord, uh, as you move your pieces over the chessboard, sometimes you take them off the chessboard altogether and bring them home to you. And we do understand that all that would live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution because that's what your word tells us. Help us, Lord, to be the men and the women you've called us to be even to the point of laying down our lives. And if we lay down our lives supremely, ultimately, unto death, we ought to be laying down our lives every day to you. This is, thy will be done. We don't want to be the people who have an agenda. We just want to do your agenda. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.